right, Broom Shakalaka. We are on <laughs> uh, Micronauts number 11, lettered by Joe Rosen. Um, Karza returns to find the body banks overrun and finds the shadow priests in open revolt. Uh, he is challenged by Argon. They have a knockdown drag out that seems to last fucking forever. But ultimately, Karza stands triumphant. Uh, however, the Shadow Priests reveal themselves to all be time travelers, who then merge with Arcturus Ran. Uh, Ran handles Karza easily, so he attempts to launch a mind shock. But he is interrupted by the arrival of the Acroyer. Uh, Karza is then sent into the pit, uh, and he always... All we see of him at the end is um, the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, empty armor. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he is seemingly destroyed. Um, and... Uh, the time travelers separate from Ran and fuck off <laughs> to parts unknown. Um, so, yeah, it's... Fuck, man. The, the Enigma Force is a lot. Um, because... The Time Travelers, it acts like, are aspects of Arcturus Ran from during his thousand years exploring the Microverse. But the Enigma Force itself has existed for 14 billion years. It fought Null, uh, the, uh, the god of symbiotes, and, like, all of this stuff, like just uh it's kind of fucked up and you know it it becomes even more confusing when you add in stuff like earth x which makes it all kind of recursive um in that it originates in one spot but then winds up going back in time because of shenanigans and it's just like fuck man just it's just, it's just gotta be a, a force, man. You don't have to make it, you don't have to make it a thing. And, uh, yeah, so. Huh. But, uh, Marionette has now, in one of the, in last issue, Marionette expressed her feelings for Ran. Uh, so that's happening now. Um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I guess Ran and Marionette are distantly related, aren't they? Because a thousand years ago, his parents were the rulers of Homeworld. 
and her parents were the rulers of Homeworld like a week ago. Uh, I am... I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting there's going to be flipper babies here. If they are related, <laughs> they are so far removed yeah. from one another that it's not a thing. And but... I was even consider if it read to me as though this was a different branch of royal family. Like I they Rand's parents were king and queen in a different way or something i don't know well but i mean you have to figure ren had to have a sibling or something right because or they did you know they could have had they could be cousins three times removed or well four but but like here's the here's the thing if if arcturus ran had been the heir to the throne they wouldn't have sent him out for a thousand years. Like it would have been like, you know, somebody else can do this, right? Like you've got a, you've got a planet to rule here. Yeah. So, although they do stupid shit all the time in comics and TV, I'm thinking of the number of times that Kirk goes to the planet. Like, well, yeah, but but I mean, we're we're talking about. We're talking about a monarchy here, one that operates in a way similar to monarchies here on Earth, wherein the child in some way becomes the heir, whether it's patrilineal, matrilineal, whether, you know, it's a patriarchy or a matriarchy. I don't know, but still, like, if you're the prince presumably that means if you're the only prince you can't fuck off for a thousand years <laughs> so anyway i don't know i i just they don't actually like, give I, us a lot of how this monarchy works um in either because he's not called prince yeah yeah right so is it some kind of weird elected for life monarchy and that's why the people like them and by the time it gets to so he isn't actually going he isn't the heir apparent he's just the current king's king and queen's kid so you're suggesting that this is more like uh say Naboo, in as much as the fact that you're ruler, even though you have the title of queen, your child is not going to become yeah a monarch. They're just I am suggesting your that kid. that's the way that it was during his hit Rand's parents' time a thousand years okay. ago, but then over that thousand years a different kind of monarchy was set up where now they really are prince and princesses like they are the heir apparents to the king their dad i will say thousand years is a long time yeah but but karza killed ran's parents mm-hmm 
it doesn't it doesn't I'm trying to make it make sense because sure something like that developing organically over the course of a thousand years makes sense but given that Cars has been making a ton of moves during that time why did Karza allow a monarchy to continue up until now? If he killed the previous monarchy, why did he just because the rich folk that give him power are the ones he he's appeasing them? They don't seem to like the royalty. The rich people don't like the royalty either. I don't know. <laughs> like that's that's yeah, the thing. I, that's like. I think that there's a lot of interesting, like, there's definitely a lot of room here to, like, explain to me how the fuck Homeworld and its history works. Um, But it it purposefully left a little uh, murky at the moment just because it's like, hey, that's not part of the story we're telling. Um, I'll fill that in later if it becomes becomes pertinent uh, is mostly it. There's, There's really no B. Um, or they don't know also a possibility. Mm. Um, but yeah, there are definitely questions that I had from hell that I had from the opening of page one issue one, which was like, wait a minute, you've got, you've got a monarchy, (laughs) right? With a a prince and a princess and the people are on their side of the, the rebellion is on their side. And the bet. Oh, okay, so the rich people are the. Be- Wait, why aren't they the rich people? Um, <laughs> like, I I was very confused from page one. Like, how does this socio politically works? But uh, it gets ironed out or brushed under the rug throughout the story. I think ultimately, the fault here lies with Bill Mantlo. Not foreseeing that in 40 years, two adults would be sitting around overanalyzing (laughs) the socio-political landscape he created for his licensed toy comic. Yeah, I mean, Um, uh, it's definitely his fault. It's a huge oversight on his part. Yeah, really. (laughs) Two, Two adults would batter about this... (laughs) <laughs> with game of thrones level intensity how does this work uh the over the toy line comic that he created because he thought his son's toys were neat yep yep i i i honestly <laughs> we're interrogating this with the same amount of uh, <laughs> of of like diligence that you do when you like you have a daughter and she plays with figures and she probably tells you stories about what's happening with the figures and you're like, but why do they get along and they don't? And she's like, cuz. Oh, I, I overanalyze <laughs> everything about, uh, about the shows my daughter. Do not ask me why <laughs> the Wild Kratz team are actually the bad guys of their show like because i will tell you at length (laughs) Um, 
don't because, know what that because, is. Because, do what? I don't know what a Wildkratz is. It's a it's an educational show about animals. The Krat Brothers, who did like Zaboomafu back in the day okay. and stuff like that, they're still around. And they have an animated series about going on animal adventures. And I'm sitting over here just like, now wait a fucking minute. <laughs> because this is what I did rather than pursue higher education. Um, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in the multiverse, there's a version of me that's like a PhD and a very serious person. But in this iteration <laughs> of reality, I'm just like... Stupid Bill Mantlo and his <laughs> stupid toy comics. Anyway, let's do a deep dive on why Princess Mary is an autocrat who should be deposed. <laughs> uh, anyway. Are we reading more Micronauts after the annual? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, I... I Buckle stopped, up. I stopped looking at issue 35. Holy so shit. So we're, we're reading a lot of it. Holy shit. All right. Yeah. All right. Get ready for a whole lot more of this. <laughs> uh, Micronauts Annual number one has a cover by Steve Ditko and is written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by Steve Ditko, inked by Steve Ditko, colored by Andy Yanchus, lettered by Steve Ditko. No, I'm kidding, but it wouldn't <laughs> it be. Uh, lettered by John Costanza, edited by Al Milgram. Uh, this, this annual is basically three stories set just before the events of Micronauts number one. Uh, the first story is Arcturus Ran out still adventure still exploring the microverse and his last encounter before heading home to homeworld mm -hmm. uh the second story is about the deaths of argon and mary's parents and the third story is about uh the bug and a croyer in the uh, gladiator gladiatorial arena uh, just before micronauts number one so they're interesting uh, they in they they find ways to introduce several more toys from the uh, toy line in this in this <coughs> issue um, stuff like that but really it's in in my opinion it doesn't add a ton uh, but it doesn't detract from anything either. So it's kind of, if you wanted more, here you go. <laughs> That's, yeah, you know. it's very like, okay, this is fine. Um, it, it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't detract. It definitely doesn't add much. Um, if anything, I was like, you know, there's this two-page splash of everybody we've seen so far. And uh, I was like, "What? Who, who is this bug lady, Jasmine? I want to know about her." Or like, not well, Baragarza. I think it's and why I think are the Fantastic Four on this page? Um, uh, it's not just people we everybody we've met, but also a couple of people that are coming up. Oh, okay. 
um, because there is a there is a story coming up involving the Psycho Man and the Fantastic Four um, and things like that. So if they have a if somebody on that page hasn't shown up yet, it means they're going to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, Micronauts Annual Number One. It's fun. Yep. And Moving now, on for something fun, uh, genuinely fun for me. Yeah. Uh, Marvel premiere number 47 has um, a cover by Bob Layton and is written by David Michelinie, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Bob Layton, colored by Bob Sharon, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, edited by Roger Stern and Jim Salakrup. Scott Lang breaks into cross-technical enterprises as Ant-Man, looking for a doctor to save his daughter Cassie, uh, but winds up coming face-to-face with the mutated Darren Cross. That is the short version. Um, This Dr. Sondheim that he's looking for, it turns out that Cassie has something wrong with her heart, and Dr. Sondheim is the person most able to do something about it, Lang tries to get in contact with her, um, but when he arrives at her practice, she finds it being broken down, um, and Sondheim is being taken to Cross. Um, In the process of his casing the place, he does come across an Ant-Man costume, so he takes that, takes it home, tests it out, um, and then proceeds to make his way back to try and, uh, to try and get to her and get her out of there. Um, there are, uh, there are a couple of things here. Number one is as he's making his way through, he, uh, there is a there is a sensor that he bypasses that winds up reacting after he passes it Mm -hmm. um, that he just kind of ignores, but will come up in the next issue. So I just wanted to mention that. Uh, And then you do you have some stuff you want to say? I mean, I just like it. It's just, it's the most fun Ant-Man has been for me. Yeah. Ant-Man, Hank Pym, is not a great adventure character because, and that's fine because they've sort of stuck to his character, right? Like they have stuck to what makes Hank Pym Hank Pym, and that that is being a bit of a stick in the mud and doesn't really want to do this hero thing anyway, right? He'd much rather mm-hmm. be doing research stuff someplace else, and I'm actually okay with that because they stick to it, right? problem is it doesn't really work as a a book right Mm -hmm. um so the part that scott's doing all this like he's running around he's casing joints he's stealing shit he's uh talking to the ants and like naming them already and things like that like you can tell a lot of the influences that the movie the movie takes a lot of its influences from these these two issues um about like what scott's deal is um and it's fun it's it's way better and i just love the 
there's a lot the art in this is also a lot more kinetic like it feels faster when he's shrinking and um and growing and back and forth and doing that like it feels snappy and uh i i like it a lot and then Mm -hmm. the reveal at the end that darren cross is this gigantic dude with muscles on muscles and uh he's like nine feet tall um is just a holy shit that's darren i i thought that was kind of a cool thing too also um I like how in, you know, in the movie, he's got the suit or everybody's trying to get the pin particles to work again. Um, and it's kind of understood that that's why the Ant-Man suit is in cross to be, or in Cross's base to be, uh, to begin with. Um, but that isn't explicitly said. It's just revealed that, Cross has got a bunch of engineers that are doing all kinds of shit, so that's probably one of them. Um, yeah, and that's cool. Um, yeah. I, I just like this. The see, I took a slightly different. Uh, I had a slightly different take on that. Which thing? Uh, given that when. When Pym shows up in the next issue, he mentions that he became aware of Lang uh, when an alarm went off. Um, the way I took it was because Cross's because Cross's campus used to be Pym. Ah. Uh, this was a secret compartment he had his costume in that Scott then stumbled across in the course of burgling cross cross technical um, and that Cross was unaware of it being there. But that was was my read of it. Um, I don't know. So, but yeah, it it is, there is a lot of the, um, a lot more of the sort of MCU, MCU Ant-Man to this, uh, than what we've seen of Ant-Man that thus far. And admittedly, that's because it's a different character. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I really don't like King Pym in general. So, <laughs> like every time they try to make me like him, I'm just like, no, this no. is this does not, this doesn't work for me. The ultimate, the ultimate was the uh, the scientist supreme. I'm just like, fuck you. But um, <laughs> that was so dumb. But anyway, um, yeah. So. Marvel premiere number 48 has a cover by Dave Cockrum, Bob, Bob McLeod, and Gaspar Saladino, colored by Maria Mario Sen, uh, lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Diana Albers, and edited by Roger Stern. Uh, having been captured, Scott manages to escape just before he is to become a new heart donor to Darren Cross. 
Uh, we do get an origin for Darren Cross and why he is the way he is. And it turns out to have been he had a shitty heart and there was a an, an experimental procedure that worked uh, to keep him alive. However, it's mutated him and now his heart can't keep up with the strain. So he's constantly having to switch out his ticker. Uh, and that's why he uh, is holding Dr. Sondheim there is because he has a room full of unhoused people that he is going to be using as an organ farm. Uh, so, <clears throat> Scott... Scott is able to break loose um, because even though Cross takes away the belt and even though Cross snaps off the antenna on the helmet, uh, he he brought extra antenna. <laughs> yeah. Just in case that, that sort of thing happened. And I like um, the admission here that he's like... I'm a big goofus and I was probably going to break these off. So yeah. I like it's, it's a little bit of like a, a hand wavy. This is how he gets, you know, it feels that way. But I, from a character standpoint, it's like, he's a big goofus and he was yeah. probably going to break these off eventually. So having some spares, isn't a terrible, like I buy it. Fuck it. I buy it. Right. Well, I mean, you know, especially when you consider, I mean, Scott Lang is average height for a superhero, so at least six feet. Um, add to that the size of the helmet. Add to that the the antenna on top. I mean, let's let's be real. There is every there is every possibility that not being used to wearing the helmet at all times, he was going to walk through a doorway and wind up snapping those right off. Uh, so yeah. But uh, he uh, he and Cross have another fight. However, this time Cross winds up dropping dead. Um, and we find out that the reason is because the last time Sondheim operated on him, she swapped out, she swapped out and uh, put his old heart back <laughs> in. And so it wasn't able to handle it. Uh, but, you know... Um, Lang comforts her, saves her, uh, and then Cassie is able to be operated upon while she is recovering. Uh, Lang is visited by Yellow Jacket. Uh, and he's like, okay, let's do it. Arrest me. And Yellow Jacket's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. We find out that Yellow Jacket was alerted to his having found the Ant-Man costume and came to investigate. He then proceeded to follow him this entire time. And he's like, you know what? I liked what I saw. And we kind of could use all the superheroes we can get. So Hank, Bim, Hank Pym gives him his blessing to continue being Ant-Man. Um, which is probably the least shitty thing I've seen Hank Pym do recently. So good on you. He's um, just so fucking smug when he's in Yellow Jacket Con. Just smarmy. Yeah. I don't like him. I want to punch his face. Yeah, well. I mean, yeah. 
he's he's not doing well right now. So we'll uh, we'll oh. just put that down to he's a big unwell baby. Uh, what's yeah. he up to currently? In current continuity? Yeah, current mo- comics. Last I checked, he was bonded to Ultron. Oh yeah. But I, he's one of those characters I don't really bother to check in on regularly because it's just like, like if he shows up in something, then I'll just be like, oh, that's what's going on with Hank Pym. Okay. Anyway, back to literally anything else. Um, but yeah, last I saw he had, he had willingly bonded to Ultron and they are now traveling the universe. A couple. I don't know. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> Good on a couple sharing a single body. I don't know. It's uh, whatever. Uh, Marvel two and one number fifty one has a cover by George Perez and Joe Sinnott and is written by Peter Gillis, penciled by Frank Miller, inked by Bob McCloud, colored by Glennis Ween, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Roger Stern. Uh During a poker game at Avengers Mansion, a S.H.I.E.L.D. armory comes under attack, prompting Thing, Wonder Man, Ms. Marvel, Beast, and Nick Fury to intervene against General Pollock's forces. Um, This is is not a bad issue. Um, It's kind of whatever. It's more like Marvel 6-in-1, but hey, why not? (coughs) Uh, I like the conceit that this is a poker game they do often. Right? Yeah. And I, I like, like the poker games where it's just like, yeah, these are just like a bunch of heroes hanging out. Cause who the fuck are you going to hang out with? <laughs> Two things is this is the first time wonder man's been invited. We're told to, because he was one of the guys, he was one of the people around and yeah. uh, Ben comes into the kitchen where they're going to play the game and is like, no glasses. I don't like them. Take them off. And <laughs> Simon takes off the glasses and he's just got these glowing fucking death orbs. And Ben's like, you know what? Never mind. Put them back on. Please. I'll make an exception for you. An exception for you. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couldn't read that anyway. All right. <laughs> um, and then also the fact that uh, this is Carol's first time at the, at the poker game as well. Because... Everybody, everybody else is pissed off at Nick because um, currently uh, Tony and Tony and Steve don't exactly uh, like him because he lies to them all the time about everything. Uh, why do you weird think, <laughs> weird that they get pissy about that? Um, so Carol was also around, so they were like, "Yeah, yeah, you sit in." Um, da Power is apparently a regular, which is just also weird but okay fine um and then the fact that uh carol wipes the fucking floor with them just constant every hand um Mm -hmm. is we're led to believe that she's just kicking their asses um is is also super fun Uh, and you know uh jarvis gets to put ben in his place about being a bit of a bit of a misogynist Mm mm-hmm yep I don't know. I really like the poker game. Um, when we go do adventure, that's fine. Uh, yeah, the adventure stuff is fine. Mostly, this is worth it for the poker game. Mm-hmm. Whatever. 
any mention of yellow claw always makes me uncomfortable so i was happy to have it be gone yeah because that's what they're out to get from the arsenal is one of yellow claws airship disaster death things and they needed to go buy they needed to go break into shield to steal a component for an ultimate annihilator uh fine and good yep no so marvel two in one number 52 has a cover by george perez and joe sinnett letter and gaspar saladino and is written by stephen grant penciled by Jim Craig, inked by Pablo Marcos, colored by Ben Sean, lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Rick Parker, and edited by Roger Stern and Jim, Jim Salakrup. Uh, Crossfire attempts to brainwash the Thing uh, and eventually the Fantastic Four in an attempt to turn public opinion against superheroes. Moon Knight becomes involved, and having trained under Cross while freelancing with the CIA, uh, he is able to help Thing defeat him. So, yeah. And it's a pretty good Moon Knight appearance, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jumping around and beating up dudes. I mean, there's not a lot of investigation that goes on. The first, this doctor they're at some sort of function at a, a museum and this doctor rushes in and is gunned down by these goons and uh he as he's dying he whispers an address into things head um or in, uh, he whispers an address at thing things like i'm gonna go take care of this and moon's like i moon knight's like i could come and help along and he's like nah new fangled superheroes um and he goes outside and he's like i can never get a cab and of course lockley shows up as the cab driver so that's how moon knight knows where he's going um i don't know i i don't i do not hate this yeah yeah i mean it's it's a decent enough issue of marvel two and one um it's not the sort of thing that i'd hold up necessarily and say this is why i read comics Mm -hmm. but it's not bad um it showcases it showcases the character it's meant to showcase and has a believably suitable threat um and really like that's all i need Mm -hmm. whatever so Anyway, um, top five? Top five. The Watcher's Guide's top five. Top five. Top five. Big stretch. Topagar five gone. Five Haven't done that in a while. Um, number five. Shouldn't this pit, or no. Number five is, damn, Simon, creepy much? Like, (laughs) Jesus, there's other ways to do that. Instead of just... Okay, you're you're fine. Uh, Number four is, uh, we're going to let somebody else handle the UFOs today. Not doing it. Not our problem. Uh, 
Number three is, shouldn't this pit have a railing? Come on, guys. You should have a railing on your... Uh, it's OSHA, at least. On your secret pit to another plane of existence. Railings. Yeah, railings. Um, <laughs> if, you're going, if you're going to have a pit where the, the floor is made to uh, gradually slope and funnel things into another another universe uh you have to have a guardrail around it uh there have to be signs yeah on on the floor warning there tape. have to there is no way that this lab is compliant no uh you're gonna lose funding that way <laughs> anyway uh number two is i'm just imagining a sign on the wall that's like number of days <laughs> since someone was sucked into another universe <laughs> it's like set to zero. Oh like, man, Click. it's like god damn it. We made it. We made it three weeks this time. Fuck. And it was the boss. Like, what do we do now? Um, number. I needed this. I needed this grad school credit. Damn it. <laughs> number two is he's a big goofus who probably was going to break off those antenna. I just yeah. liked that as a character moment as well. Um, and then number one is the Acroyer design. Like, just like you say, or like you said, um, it's very, it's not a uniform, but there are stylistic elements that are consistent throughout all of them, but everybody gets to have their own individuality when it comes to their armor. And right. I liked that a lot. It was, it made for some really cool visuals as well yeah and also um because it's people in armor it looks less stiff than the other obvious toys vehicles that they're selling so you know there are some of them that are like they look like big giant men but their legs are basically welded together and i'm like eh, this is weird you know but this the acquire designs are cool as hell so yeah um, yeah, I've actually, between talking about Micronauts and reading the comics, I kind of want to track down some of the old school Micronauts, but they can get hella expensive. Oh, I don't But doubt. I wouldn't mind having an Acroyer or two. Mm -hmm. All anyway. right, that's me. All right, well, for me, number five is Fuck Yellow Jacket, because <laughs> it can't be said enough. Fuck no. Yellow Jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is how dare you, Bill Mantlo, not know <laughs> that we would be tearing this apart 40 years from now. You're just out here trying to tell a fun story about some toys, and we're just sitting here like, well, I don't think he's considered the socio-political ramifications of what he's doing in this issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my farts. <laughs> uh number three is the poker game because i had a lot of fun with that number two is like i said i you know and i didn't i covered some of this when we were talking about it but add to the, add to the horror of the micronauts comic the fact that um baron karza is able to switch back and forth from being a centaur Whereas Argon is just grafted to a horse, uh, you know, and like 
one is just like, I feel like being a centaur today. And the other is just like, a man <laughs> took me, cut me in half, and then grafted me to the top part of a horse. And now this is just what I am now. <laughs> Not just any horse. Your horse. Your, like that, your horse. That, that part's important. The horse you grew up riding. <laughs> yes, exactly. That part's important as well. It's, it's not just any horse. It's a horse I knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like, you... This is the... This is the... Uh, this is like, you know, the rich person version of a dog. And it's just like the dog you grew up with. You're now like surgically grafted to. Plus, in that Micronauts <laughs> annual, like one of the one of the toys they took from the toy line was just like a spaceman yeah. who has like a big like bubble helmet and, uh -huh. you know, a jetpack. And here it's like. He's wearing that because his entire race was wiped out by a plague. And so if they breathe the air, they will age unto dust. And you're just like, I, I just I just wanted to read about the spaceman. Like, What's the spaceman's deal? He was destroyed by his race's own search for perfection. This is why diversity is good. And it's like, ha ah. ha. Spaceman, no. Spaceman, <laughs> don't be a phrenologist. <laughs> uh, and then uh, number one is Scott Lang. Uh, he was a lot of fun. Yeah. And yeah. He was a lot of so, fun. Just a, he was. And he's... I just... I, I think the thing about at least this story is... The stakes and the threat are much more um are, the stakes and scott's ability to deal with them are much more like set like his daughter will die or is dying and he doesn't have the money to pay for it anymore um and uh darren is a big dude who will has super hearing and senses and can see him coming when he even when he's small and like the and <laughs> Scott is new at this and not very good at it. Like, all of these are set and defined and, like, really well uh Well, and I, th I think explained. one thing that's interesting about the stakes in this is it's not just Kath Cassie's life is on the line, but also Scott's soul. Yeah. Because given what is happening to Cassie and his inability to do anything about it, He's in danger of falling back into old habits. Uh, he's in danger of falling back into the person he didn't want to be. Right. And, you know, he's like, without even really thinking about it, I'm falling back on casing places and thinking about, okay, well, I can steal this much and fence it for this. And, and you know, and so it's not just the fact that his daughter's life is on the line but also like how far is he willing to go to save her life and i you know any parent would of course say as far as i need to like yeah <laughs> you know but like also he's, he's saying to as well as like even if we get her fixed like part of the the third like prong of this 
stakes thing is like even if we get her fixed if i go back to crime to achieve that then i'm just gonna get arrested again like he just knows and i will have lost her again and i will i will have lost her again and i won't get her back like yeah because my sister's husband my brother-in-law already thinks i'm just an asshole if he goes if cassie goes back to live with them there's no way i'm getting him back uh right and it's like yeah dude so like there's layers upon layers of like threat and stakes and you know i i like it yeah it's just cleanly defined too so yep all right so uh join us next week because next week we're going to be doing some avengers and we're also going to be starting the classic iron man story demon in a bottle oh so that is exciting yeah uh in the meantime rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts because that will get us in front of more ears uh email us at watchersguide at gmail.com like us on facebook follow us on twitter both individually and at watchersguidemu and visit our website at watchersguide.com where you can download episodes of the show and see all of the reading lists going back to the very first episode have a marvelous week Bye.